Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Uh, apologies to anyone who is trying to listen live. Um, it's uh, opening day in the MLB and most importantly for the Blue Jays. And so uh, the show was not live today, but uh, we were still able to bring you an interview um, that, you know, I'm pretty happy with. I mean, first and foremost, um, just to take listeners behind the scenes. So obviously we were given this chance to speak with Raptors 905 head coach Eric Curry. We actually had talked to Eric at this outset of the season as well, and that one was already 30 minutes. This one was kind of the same deal. You got 30 minutes with coach, and, you know, you get to chat. And I think over the course of the conversation, I think there was just so much to cover, so much sort of, like, nuances in terms of how to be a coach and um, what goes into it on the personal side, what goes into the practice side, what goes into it with, you know, tactics, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, definitely want to cover a lot of the players who are of relevance to Raptor fans, not just 905 fans, um, that we just end up talking for a long time. And so I want to say, first and foremost, thank you to Eric for his uh, his time. We definitely ran, like, literally 15 minutes over. Um, but, yeah. Uh, without further ado, uh, that this is our conversation with our Raptors 905 head coach, Eric Curry, where we discussed um, his season. Not necessarily the best one, um, but at the same time, um, I thought it was very cool for Eric to be very uh, introspective over the course of the conversation. And I think it gets you a lot deeper into uh, what goes into being a coach, first and foremost, and also what it's like specifically coaching in the G League, which is a very, very unique situation. So here's that conversation. Okay, joining us on the Raptor Show is Raptors 905 head coach Eric Corey. Eric, we caught up at the uh, outset of the season, and uh, now we're catching up again. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, unfortunately, the season is over sooner than we all wanted. Um, 7-11 in the showcase, 16-16 and in the league. When you think back on your first year as a head coach, what comes to mind? Yeah, definitely. Uh season probably ended a bit sooner than all of us would have wanted, myself included. But uh, a lot to a lot to learn from, and then some positives as well. A lot of growth for the team as a whole. I thought we were playing our best basketball down the stretch, and then growth both as individuals uh, and for myself as well. So, yeah, a lot of stuff. I'm excited to to look at next year and, and grow from from the season. Right. Um, we'll we'll talk about a couple of the heartbreaks at the end. I'm sorry, but I, I want to start with a happier memory. Right. First game, your head coach. Um, you guys are playing the Capital City Go Go. And, um, you know, look, you, your players go on a 10-3 run to end the game. You guys end up walking out of there with a win, 1-0 in the season. And then you head to the locker room. Your players are there. They ambush you. They, they spray you with water and all that kind of stuff. Um, tell me about the emotions going into the game, the nerves going into the game, and then the relief and the, the joy afterwards, especially with, in, winning in that fashion. Yeah, for sure. I think we were down 20-something at one point, too. So it was an awesome comeback to to go steal one. Um, but yeah, it was first game, obviously, like you said, a lot of nerves. And then it was really cool to get back into the locker room and see all that support from all the guys. So it was a good start to the season. Um, we were able to kind of build off it a bit. We won four out of our first five kind of thing. And then things took a bit of a turn. Um, but overall, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a cool way to start my coaching career. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, speaking of, you know, taking a turn, you, you, you get that first taste of like G League reality, right? Because the G League yeah. is, is such a unique league as compared to any other league. I was actually just talking to Coach about it, uh, Coach Nick Nurse about it too, uh, today in practice, uh, where where he pointed out that one of the, the strangest things about the, the G League is that like 
A, um, the talent level is very, very even across the board as compared to sort of in other leagues where there's more forces where you can, you know, give scholarships in the, in the college level and get the best players. Or um, obviously in a professional setting, you have budgets and you can really pay for the best guys. And the G League obviously is a professional setting, but, you know, the talent level is kind of spread out. But the other thing he mentioned is just in no other league would you have to deal with that many um, players coming in and out of your roster all the time. And of course, you guys get hit with that early in the season. You guys had Saban Lee, who was one of the featured players on the team, playing really well, point guard, everything like that. Um, and then, yeah, he, he leaves at the end of November, right? The Sixers wanted to bring him up. And eventually, you know, he was able to come back, but then he went to Phoenix after that, and that's where he's been since. Um, so I, I guess I want to ask, like, what is what is it like to build plans over and over again with players coming in and out on, all the time? Yeah, it's tough. I think we counted and we had 19 or 20 different guys start a game for us this year, let alone yeah. play a game. So it's a lot of changeover. Uh, I knew it going into it, but you don't really appreciate it until you're living it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it matters as much on the court as in the locker room. So Saban's such a great example. He was kind of the leader of the team early. Um, and then you have to fill that void. And it's not always easy. And you get a lot of guys who kind of knew where they were in the pecking order in their role early on, it completely changes for them um, as as guys join us and leave and join and leave. So it is definitely pretty tricky uh, finding that balance. And you have to really figure out what your identity is as a team and know exactly who you want to be because as guys join the team midway through the season and you're not able to have tons of practices because there's games going on, it's uh, you need to find a way for guys to blend in and Set to pick up what Raptors nine five basketball is. Yeah, I I think um I've heard again going back to Nick like I heard him talk about in the past like his whole thing was like we got to especially in that level when you're coaching uh, when he was coaching it was the D League now it's the G League like when you're coaching at that level when when you're dealing with again like you mentioned twenty different guys starting not lineups not twenty different starting yeah. lineups like twenty different players getting an individual start at least once. Um, you got to have like a coaching package, right? Where you're able to sort of like bring it to the players, integrate them in quickly early, because again, you're just going to have constantly shifting rosters. Was that sort of the plan that you had coming into? Is that part of your preparation for the season? And and of course you can always prepare for things, but once you're in it too, you know, did you sort of hone that aspect of sort of like the portability of your, of of your sort of regime and your, your strategies uh, as the, as the year went on? Uh, a little bit for sure. Uh, we early on decided to keep it really consistent with the Raptors. So that way when guys are assigned or two ways are going back and forth, uh, they're not learning two different systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kept it consistent with the Raptors, which helped for the assignment in two-way guys. But then a lot of the changeover or turnover is not necessarily them. It's different G League players. And the Raptors system is it's uh, not a simple one. There is a lot that you need to pick up. So there were benefits for, for when uh, – Christian Coloco was assigned or Joe where Wieskamp was assigned or Delano or something like that. But then when you bring in new G League guys, it hurts a bit as well because they're trying to pick up a system that's not super straightforward and easy always. Like there is, there's a lot of rotations. There's a lot of, you got to be on a unit, on a string defensively to be as good as you can be. Um, so there's, there's kind of trade-offs both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's always very interesting too, right? Because like, you know, as you mentioned, like it's not entirely like this is your team. You got to, you know, coach it and change the strategies as you see fit. Sometimes, obviously, again, it's a it's a developmental aspect of it, right? So you're able to sort of get that alignment in strategy. Um, and this is something when, uh, you know, when we're covering it and we hear this from the players, we hear this from the coaches, everyone talks about this. The system is not simple. It's not easy. Um, 
why is that? Like, can you explain it to like maybe in the layman terms? Like, why is it more complex than your average system? Yeah, it's um, the defense is not a defense that's looking to contain and prevent the other team from scoring. It's a defense that's looking to attack the offense. So it's a very aggressive defense. And with that, whenever you ramp up the aggressiveness, then inevitably the on-ball defender will get beat every once in a while. And there's got to be extra layers of protection for when that happens. And the exact rotations that come out of that, uh, that's where the complexities start to get in play. So right. when you're attacking the ball on defense, then um, you need to make sure everybody's got your back. And that's that's kind of the layman's answer. Right. Um, I Actually, I remember asking Nick about this at the start of the Raptor season as well. It was just sort of like, hey, anybody who watches Raptors basketball at any level would see that you guys love pressuring the basketball. And that, that is very unique as compared to other teams. And of course that leads to things like the Raptors being tops of the league and deflections or turnovers and things like that. Uh, but I also asked them like, why is it so important to always pressure the ball or not necessarily always pressure the ball? I'm sure there's certain instances where you, you know, lay back or even go under a screen here or there, but certainly it's rare. Um, can you explain like the specific, reasons behind like pressuring the ball at all times yes yeah, to make the opponent uncomfortable um so okay. get them out of their set a lot of offenses are timing based so mm. to pick up the timing of the play and to not let them do what they want to do um so that's kind of the, the thinking behind it and it like you said it creates a lot of deflections it creates a lot of turnovers and it, it can fuel your offense a lot too so there's right. benefits um there's like any system there's trade-offs as well or else like you said all 30 teams would be doing it as well but if you build the system in place and you have the time to to talk about all the the ways to protect one another, then the trade-offs get minimized for sure. And it, it can be, I mean, coach has shown, coach nurse has shown over the years, it can be a very successful system. Mm-hmm. No, no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, okay, so now going back to uh, your season and sort of coaching it, right? Like, so obviously Saban leaves. I'm not saying that it's the whole reason for the six-game losing streak, right? But at the same time, you know, the timing does coincide there. One, you guys, and that was probably the worst stretch of the season, because to be honest, the rest of it, you guys did balance out. Um, when you're in the midst of that, right, from a human perspective, both from yourself and for your players, how do you get them to sort of rally around each other rather than falling apart in difficult moments? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, that was uh, that was a while back, but yeah, I remember it just like it was yesterday kind of thing. It's a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure it out. Right. Uh, you can never turn your brain off it, that's for sure. And we kind of had to revisit like what was going on and why it was happening. Uh, a couple of them were really tough losses uh, in terms of, I mean, at the end of the day, even the best teams that play the game the right way, they don't go 82-0 and in the NBA or 15-0 in the G League. You will get, there There will be some make or miss nights for sure. Um, but there's also, in the moment, you never think like, hey, that was just a make or miss loss. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're, feeling, yeah. you're feeling every part of it. So a lot of film sessions, a lot of kind of holding each other accountable from the coach's side to the player's side to everything. What can we do better? What can we execute better? And and how can you guys just kind of figure this out? Because we needed to get that win at the end of the day. Uh, and the, the last one, the sixth loss was at Scotiabank Arena in front of everybody. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the tipping point of it. Of like, we just can't do this anymore. So the next game was against the same opponent, Greensboro. And we were able to come out with a lot more force, a lot more energy and and able to get a comfortable win and that kind of turn around the rest of the season yeah and, and look let's let's be real like it's not entirely on the coach right i think that especially um i mean especially at the nba level but i imagine it's the same at the g league level too it's like 
you have leaders on the team that ultimately will set the tone for everybody or rallies around the, the group. And for people who are unfamiliar with the 905, like who were the leaders in that locker room who in a moment like that, after a six game losing streak stands up and says, Hey, you know what? Like next game, we can't let this happen. We got to change all these things. And I'm going to start by leading by example. I'm going to start by communicating more on the floor. Who are those on floor, you know, on court leaders for you in, in that, in that, in that locker room? Yeah. Throughout the year, uh, Ron Harper's, been the the steady guy who's always been there and has been a great leader but then uh at the time we didn't have sterling brown for example but when sterling joined us in showcase he became kind of that that voice and then david johnson's voice grew up through uh grew throughout the year as well and he was really great so i'm sure i'm missing a couple guys but those three would really be the guys who um pulled the group together and then jeff obviously spent some time with us some time with the raptors but whenever, whenever he was with us he was great in that in that area as well right right for sure um okay so you know, I think um, going. I mean, why? Well, I don't want to go back to this, but I I feel like I didn't structure this well enough. But um, you know, there there are certain times where you know, even as a coach, I was cause I was thinking about it. Like when you think about the basketball product on the floor, the coach probably spends so much effort planning, watching film, having meetings with with players, having meetings with your staff. Um, and there's just so much preparation that goes into the game. And then the game happens. And of course, you can call plays, you know, you can call defenses. But like, there is a weird element where you're you're almost a little bit powerless in a way, you know, like you put the <laughs> most effort in, but you're also maybe the most powerless because you're obviously not playing the game itself. Yeah. And and I was thinking about that because like, you know, late in the season, you know, really tough loss against Lake, Lakeland Magic is tied 109 all right. Sterling Brown goes in for a layup, puts you guys up two. Um, you guys actually played great defense, but, uh, you know, the other team hits a, a three with 0.3 seconds left to go up one. And then even after that, with only 0.3 seconds left, you still able to drop a really good play on the inbound um, where you guys got a tip at the basket, which is pretty much the best you can do in that situation. And the play is perfect. The tip is there. It just the ball just doesn't roll in. And I was just thinking about in that moment, like. It's, it's got to be really hard to do as a coach, right? Because, like, you, you've done what you needed to do in that situation. You've drawn up essentially two game-winning plays, but you end up losing. And I, I just – I don't know. How do you handle that emotionally, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you obviously don't want to let it come down to the last minute because then it is okay. kind of a coin flip. But even, like, the – like, Simpson hit that tough three, but the possession before, he also hit a really tough baseline running hook as well. <laughs> but I don't know if that's his shot as well, but, like – right, right. right. It was a t- that was a tough game for sure. That was uh, even before it came down to the last minute. I, I grabbed the box score at the end of the game, and we'd taken like a hundred field goal attempts. They'd taken seventy five, and I was happy with our shot selection. Like we didn't take too many wild ones, and still we lost that game by one. But yeah, like you said, it's our job as a coaching staff to to try and get everybody in the best position possible. And then it's uh, sometimes it's just kind of whether the ball bounced your way or not that night. Um, but yeah, that was that was one that pretty much effectively uh, kicked us out of the playoffs. So that was that was a tricky one for sure. Yeah, this is this is the last question I have in regards to losing. I'm sorry, coach. I, I didn't put yeah. us off in the in the most positive mind space. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about in terms of like your growth as a coach too, because I really want to talk about your players as well. But I want to focus first on you because you're the guest here. Um, your approach to practices, sort of how did that sort of mature over the course of the year, right? I'm sure as you came in, you obviously had lots of experience as an assistant under different coaches, and you've sort of seen what works throughout there. But um, how did your approach towards managing practices, sort of managing the time in practices, what you do in those practices, how did that evolve as the season went on when you got much more hands-on experience as the head coach? 
Yeah, I tried to be pretty consistent throughout the year of only ever doing drills that had a purpose. So I, I wanted to make sure we weren't just running a drill because, oh, I've seen other coaches run this drill. Let's make sure we run it. Like I wanted to have always a goal in mind for every drill. And we tried to really go away from, okay, we're going to do this drill for the next seven minutes and then move on to this next drill for six minutes or eight minutes and so on and just do a drill until we felt the guys had grasped the concept from it. Like we, we established something and we got something out of it. Um, we could probably really like lock in even more and, and minimize how many drills you do in a practice and spend more time on each drill and get really deeper into it. But it's all about finding that balance of what do we need to get done today and how much time do we want to spend to, to get it done? Yeah. So again, like this is so high level for most people who haven't been around this. So can you take us through like, even just like how much time would, would you typically budget for a practice? Right. And then when you go into it, like, yeah. how do you, how do you divide that up? Yeah, it would be about the way a practice would break down is as an entire group, it would be about an hour. Uh, okay. But then before practice, you might split up half the group to be in the weight room, half the group doing individual work, uh, skill development work. Mm -hmm. um, so then that's about another hour. And then after practice, another half hour, 40 minutes of guys getting shots up. So overall, you have about a two and a half, three hour window. Right. But as a group of all 10, 12 guys on the court together going through drills that would be about an hour and how how often would you be able to host practice uh the end of the season our, our schedule was packed with games we had the fewest games going into the all-star break so we had the most coming out okay so in march we we were really limited we didn't have that many practices at all mm -hmm. uh but early on in the season we would, we'd be able to get in quite a few each week got you yeah we're, we're... Yeah. We're, we're literally talking about practice. This is, this yeah. is the AI <laughs> quote, but in, a, in, in yeah. actuality. Um, exactly. I want to get even more specific because I thought about it. A timeout is almost like a super tiny practice, really, right? Within a game. Um, so yeah. I want to hear about your approach towards timeouts. Like, um, what did you sort of, I mean, what, take me through a typical timeout and sort of like your approach towards it as a coach. Yeah, the G League timeouts are super fast. So you got to be structured. Yeah. So... I think it's about uh, 75 seconds is a G League timeout, or maybe 90 seconds, one or the other. So the first 30 seconds or so, you're just meeting with the assistant coaches, figuring out like which subs do we want to make and what game plan changes do we want to make. And then you get out there, and if it's your ball, you're quickly talking about any game plan adjustments you want to make on the offensive or defensive end, something to really focus on, and then drawing up a play as quick as you can for the five guys you got in front of you. So you got to be really... I try and do as much of the thinking ahead of time. So mm. that way I know, hey, when this group's on the court, I kind of like these actions. So that's like a play I would draw up for them. But then the in-game adjustments, obviously, you have to wait until the game starts to really figure it out. So you are you don't want to spend too much time on the, the drops, the after timeout plays, because uh, that's going to take away from just about the only time you have to communicate with guys. Once the game starts again, you're obviously calling out plays, like you said earlier, and you're, you're trying to scream out adjustments. But... Mm -hmm. It doesn't always go through the, the yeah. timeouts are the best time to definitely be communicating these things. So that's uh, you got to use up uh, every second you have of it. No, that's that's kind of absurd because again, you got to think about it. if the players like they're obviously they're playing, they're exhausted, they're trying to catch their breath, they're trying to drink a little bit of water. They might be dealing with like their frustrate their frustrating night. Their open shots aren't dropping or yeah. they're in foul trouble. And then again, you just got to snap in, you got to lock in, and then you got to hear this message and see this play drawn out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you've had times where. You draw a play and your, your your team might forget it, or you drop a play and and, and your opponent's team came out with an entire like let's say for you drop a play and then the other team zones, right? All yeah. of a sudden your play might just be out the window, right? So, yeah. 
again, to be honest, being a head coach sounds uh, sounds exhausting, but I appreciate <laughs> You said it, not me. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I was also thinking about, like, your approach towards, like, um, communicating with the players, right? Because, you know, um, I, I was reading uh, some of the interviews in preparation for this, and um, I, I really, for example, I, I like Andrew Damlin of Raptors Republic. You know, he, he's down there whenever he's can, and he's, he's been following the G League for a long time. And he was he had this article he wrote about Ron Harper Jr., and, and Ron was sort of talking about how one of the personal difficulties he's had was just like, this is the first time he's been away from family, right? He played, like, college locally. Obviously, you know, high school, so that he was, you know, with his family all the time. It's the first time he's been away from family family and it kind of just reminded me of like oh wow these guys are really really young and as a head coach it's not just like you know drawing up the plays and here's the next practice and you drill to get better it's also like let's talk about the fact that like you're missing home you know and and there's other difficult emotions that goes into it so i just wanted to hear about sort of your approach towards like dealing with players and sort of how that um you know on the off court kind of stuff in addition to the plays yeah, the tactical side's such a small part of it and the practice planning and film sessions, there's that other part of it that you just mentioned is the huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's twofold. It's the the relationship side, like you mentioned. It's tough for a lot of these guys, the rookies, even second and third year guys that are so new to it. Right. They're away from home. They're in a new city and, and in our case, a new country. So everything's kind of brand new for them. Right. So kind of building that relationship, but also fostering an environment where they can build strong relationships with each other, I think is super important too. Mm-hmm. Um, cause player to player relationships are so important and it kind of gives them that comfort. So it's that part of it, but it, then there's also the other off court part that's huge is the, the role definition, uh, getting guys comfortable in a role where they feel like they can contribute to the team, um, and contribute to winning, but also in a role that they think will increase their chances of playing at a higher level going forwards. And whether that's getting a call up or turning from a, a G League guy getting a training camp invite or summer league invite and so on. So that's the, I would say that's kind of the the area of coaching that you can probably reap the most out of and you have to focus the most time on more so than the, the tactics and the X's, X's and O's and practice planning. Yeah. And again, that's the stuff that people don't see, right? Ultimately, people only see the encore product or even worse, sometimes they'll just see the box score, right? And, and you yeah. won't even see what actually happened. You actually just saw like this number is good, this number is bad, without any context. But no, I think that that's such a important aspect. And, and we're just talking about sort of like building, you know, player to player bonds. Like, what are some of the things you do? Like, are you organ? Is it like team functions, or is it like making sure that they sit together in practices, or making making drills specifically for certain guys to sort of build bonds? Or how does that yeah. work? There's a few different ways of doing it. Uh, there's the big picture stuff, like you said, of, of team meals, or, or we all went paintballing as a group, for example. That's uh, nice. Like those kind of ideas. Yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> um, or there's like more smaller, detailed stuff of instead of coaches watching film of the individual, you watch it as pairs. So hmm. that way, when they're doing their kind of film sessions, so pairs are two or three guys at a time, and they can all all talk together. And then other times, we would just have the team instead of the coaches leading a film session, the the players would lead the film session. And they would talk amongst each other and kind of hold each other accountable that way, as opposed to just always a coach kind of going at them. So it lets them um, lets them communicate more, lets them know what they need from each other, and it, it kind of builds more trust that way. That's so that's pretty clever. I like that idea of sort of letting the players direct. So what are you doing as the coach when 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 in those turns where it's like Ron Harper's got the whiteboard and and or he's got the videotape and and you you got he's play, pressing play and pause. You are you just sitting there chilling or are you playing referee? You know what are you doing? Oh, I'm not in the room a lot of the times. So, oh, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. Step on out and let them do their thing. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. And then sometimes, of course, 
well, that's not an everyday thing that's uh like once in a blue moon kind of thing but yeah the rest of the time you're kind of just sitting and like you said kind of navigating it and, and maybe you're choosing the clips and then letting them talk through it got you got you that's clever though i like that um and then last question about your coaching before we sort of focus on uh, a couple of the players especially from a raptors perspective that, that people really want to hear about on this show um i want to ask like who did you have to lean on for advice and support because again like it's a new situation for you this is your first head coaching job um so who, who could you lean on for that yeah i had a great uh coaching staff which was awesome so the assistants we would talk all the time we would have these long coaches meetings and, and kind of figure it out so my coaching staff was great and then outside of the coaching staff um adrian griffin with the raptors was such a mentor he wow. uh, anytime i had a question i could reach out to him i mean the entire raptors staff for that matter I'd, I'd, i don't think there was one i didn't call up put it that way so <laughs> coach nate bjorkren coach trevor they were great but then ag for sure would he would anytime i saw him he would take all the time i needed to, to chat with him so He's got such great perspectives on leadership and, and coaching and building a group and building a culture. So just being able to talk to him and get to pick his brain was awesome. That's awesome, man. I, I, I didn't know that about Griff. I mean, he seems like such a nice guy. I've never had that many conversations with him. Um, what, what, what were some of the things that he would say to you or, you know, how what were some of the kind of moments where he sort of helped you get a, a different perspective? Most times in life, you just need a different perspective on on the problem. 100%. Uh, a lot of his are leadership focused. Um, so really finding a way to self-examine and that kind of dictates your leadership style. So hmm. you could break down all the different leadership styles there are in, in different areas and figure out which one resonates with you best. Um, and he does a great job of not giving you the answers at all, but kind of letting you think about your values and think about what's important to you and kind of struggle with those. And, and the longer you kind of self-examine and look at yourself, that's when you get to start to figure out, okay, this is the type of leader I want to be, and then translate that to uh, how do you want to put that in action. This sounds like my conversation with my therapist, but... Uh, <laughs> there you go. It's, it's useful regardless. No, shout out to AG. Is this what he got his PhD in? Uh, I think amongst other things, yeah, but I think that's... I think it was mainly leadership, yeah. Wow. All right. Shout yeah. to Griffin. Um, okay, no. let's talk about the... Okay, we, we talked enough about coaching and, and all, all the ups and downs and all the details. We literally talked about practice. Let's talk about the players. Um, so Jeff Down right now, right? Um, he's a hot name, not just because of the fact that he's played well at the G League level, but he's he's contributed a limited time in the Raptors as well. And unfortunately, you know, the thing with the two ways, you got to make a decision, right? And, you know, that's been a lot of the conversations now. Uh, I wanted to hear from, from you, someone who worked really closely with him. Um, you know, what was that final jump that he needed to make? Because he was already, even before coming to your program, already had success in the G League and had a couple of call-ups. What was that one final jump that he needed to make where he could then be in the NBA consistently, which is ultimately the goal, right? Yeah. Uh, he does such a good job in the G League of running the show and getting guys to their right spots okay. and also being able to score at that point too. Uh, I think the jump that he's made this year has been his ability to play off the ball a little bit too. So especially early in the year when we had Saban and he didn't have to constantly be the guy with the ball. But then as Ron and Sterling were um, becoming better shot creators and playmakers, he could play off the ball a bit more too. And that's something where at the next level, at first, he's going to be off the ball a lot. So with the Raptors, for example, a lot of the times it's Pascal or Scotty or Fred or G, uh, Gary kind of running the show and, and the ball swings to him or he's cutting out and creating space. So he's done a much better job of doing that. Um, mm-hmm being ready to attack closeout, being ready to make the extra pass and so on. His 
his defense has gotten really good. He's able to navigate screens really well and, and keep the ball in front of him. And then just being more confident shooting those cash and shoot threes because it's they're not always going to be wide open. They're just enough space that he can get the shot off and he's starting to really let those fly and he's shooting them really well. Yeah, I, I was going to say that's the one thing for him is just I do feel like there is a difference in terms of his willingness to shoot when I watch him play with the 905 versus when I see him play with the Raptors. And is that a hurdle that you've seen that's more common in terms of players like that who go from one level to the other and go from being a featured primary guy to then being an off-ball player, taking that same confidence and that approach in terms of being willing to take those shots? Because I, I do see scenarios where he does turn down open threes when he plays with the Raptors. Honestly, I, I would push him a lot to shoot them even more with 905 too. He would take a lot more of the off-the-dribble ones, but he wasn't taking enough of the catch-and-shoot threes. Mm. And one of the conversations we had was, it's been two or three years now of him kind of dominating the G League, but he was dominating it shooting twos, uh, yeah. getting to his little 12-foot jumper, finishes at the rim and so on. And he's got he's to get off that and start shooting threes. Or else it's, we don't want him to be dominating the G League. We want him to be playing in the NBA, right? right? So he's got to start taking seven, eight threes a game. Um, and hopefully a bunch of those are catch and shoot and he's just squeezing them off because when he shoots it, they go in. I think it's like multiple years in a row of being a 40% three-point shooter in the G League. Like he can really shoot it. So right, just got to be more conscious of, of squeezing those shots off. Is he maybe just one of those guys where like he's more comfortable pulling up, catch shooting off a pull-up rather than shooting off of catch and shoot threes? Because I remember watching, I think you guys were playing the cat in charge. I think he hit like a huge pull-up three to like essentially win the game. And I was always like, Jeff can always get you a shot, even at the Raptors right now, where it's like late clock, the ball swings to him, and obviously as a guard, you got to do something with it, create a shot. And he's actually fairly comfortable on those. But yeah. catch and shoot, maybe he's just, I don't know, different footwork, different rhythm. What do you think it is? Uh, I think he just knows that with the, like he doesn't take too many early off the bounce ones. He knows he has to shoot those ones. And sure. I think that's the reason he can knock it down. And I think he's just a great shooter either way. Um, right, he just okay. needs the confidence to let him fly. Got you. Got you. But everyone's telling him to shoot him, so hopefully it, it sticks in. And I think he's a lot of times he's trying to be a point guard and get everyone involved, and that's kind of where turning down those shots come. But it's it's pretty rare you're going to get a better shot than that. No, that's 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 fair. And I think especially again, like one of the harder things for for guys to you know um, go from the 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 G League level to the the NBA level is just like you have to like still be able to play with a clear mind and and, and like a confidence rather than necessarily yeah. like, okay, now how can I get, stay up here? How can I stay up here? And you, once exactly. you overthink everything, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. And I think Delano's another one of those guys, right? And Delano in the G league, I, I just felt like last year, I mean, he was like, honestly at the G league level, like awesome to watch. Like he was just, he was get rip down the rebound, go the other way, dunk the ball, come down, get a steal, go the other way, drive, set up a three. Like, he was just like such a game changer um, in the G League last year. Uh, I know this year he's had some injuries as well, but I think he's also had some strong moments with the 905 just like last year. Uh, how would you sort of assess his season and sort of the progress that sort of he's made from sort of maybe year over year? And and also sort of like, where is he at right now? Because, you know, he obviously he did suffer some injuries. Yeah, I think the injuries slowed him down a bit too early on. He was kind of that same guy as last year, uh, mm-hmm. his first couple games against Iowa. He's like, high 30 points kind of thing, playing really well, pushing the pace. Um, and then I don't think he probably had the jump he was hoping to have from last year to this year in the G League. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't – he still played really well, don't get me wrong, uh, but it wasn't like a, as big a jump. He definitely became a bit more of a jump shooter this year. 
mm. uh, a few less pain attacks. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's kind of guys are trying to show what they can do. So that way they, they go back with the parent club. Makes sense. Um, and yeah, of course it makes sense. So we were kind of pushing him to still, still be effective and, and he's got to show the Raptors how he can contribute to winning. And that's what we always emphasize. So if it's with us, a lot of times he could pick on a matchup and kind of get a small guard switched onto him, get to the paint and rise up over him and shoot a jumper. But that's probably a bit less realistic in the NBA. So mm-hmm. we have to find the right balance of playing off the ball and attacking closeouts. And, and I know the Raptors were interested in seeing him in both roles, both as a primary guy and off the ball guy, see what he can do in both instances. So right. we experimented with both. He played a lot of different positions for us, uh, but still at the end of the day, like you said, his ability to grab a rebound, push it the length of the court and, and either get a layup for himself or find a kick up for someone else. He's got such great court vision and he's got such great speed at that size that it's always good things when he does that. Yeah. Um, that definitely is what makes Delano special. That, that, that sort of end to end speed ball in his hands, stuff like that. Um, now with Ron, I felt like Ron was always fairly steady, but I thought like he maybe made progressions as the year went on. It's good to hear from, you know, obviously you being in the locker room, everything like the fact that he was a, a voice of leadership as well, and he and he showed that. So, yeah, how did how did Ron Harper Jr. do? Oh, I thought he probably had the biggest growth of anyone on the team uh, early on. There would be some games where he might only take five or six shots, and he was kind of like blending in with the offense a lot and down right. the stretch i think his second last game he had a 30 point triple double and the, his last game that he played he had something like 23 7 and 6 at halftime like Man. he was he was balling uh we put the ball in his hands a ton uh we didn't have jeff anymore Del- delano was with the raps as well so mm-hmm. we we didn't really have a true point guard and the ball found him a lot and he was an unbelievable playmaker but then more importantly he's like as great as he was on the court, he was even better off the court. So it's such a good dude. That's good. Uh, such a good leader. He's he's going to have a long NBA career, in my opinion. He can really play, and then he'll be every, – every team will want a person like him on their team. So I think he's he's going to be great. No, that's – that's. I mean, look, listen, I know people sort of, like, discount this, the human element. Um, but, it's again, like, especially when we're talking about – especially when you're trying to crack the league from, from a two-way position – Next year, you might be like the 13th man on the on the roster. You're still not going to play all that much, but if you're a good dude in the locker room, of course, that's a, an actual significant factor uh, in any workplace. Um, yeah, I want to ask with Ron, too. This is just, again, this is just one of those eye test things because I think statistically, he actually shoots a three fine. Why can, Have you tried elevating the shot release point? Because he kind of does shoot it from his chest, which I feel like does kind of limit maybe as much of this because you probably need more space to shoot it from that low. For sure. Uh, it's kind of twofold. So when he first joined us, it was low and to the left. So we really focused this year on bringing it from the left over to the right. So he's shooting it more to the right side of his face and not across his body. Right. And then he is slowly increasing the release point, but Ron's got such long arms that it kind of looks like it's a low release at first, but sure. that's where he's starting from. But at the point when he actually releases it, he's getting a little bit more lift than you think. Like It's okay. pretty rare that he actually got his jumper blocked this year and he took a lot of right tougher threes uh but yeah it's still definitely the plan is to inc- like raise the release point a little bit too but the first process this year was moving it over from left to right that's really cool um i want to talk about christian as well so i, I remember asking um because i listened back to our first interview and I, one of the questions then was like you know when do you expect to get christian and how much is christian going to be down there and your answer was, at the time was like we'll see and because I think that is the correct answer is, you know, when you're when you're in the G League position. And of course, the Raptors, 
probably had a plan to set him down a little bit earlier, but then they had early season injuries and Nick seemed to really love him. I and mean, he, he got to start right away. And, and so of course, you know, he's just with the team. And of course, as the team got healthier and especially, you know, okay, Yaka Pertle has now joined the team right now. It's like, okay, well now we finally have the opportunity to send Christian down and, and, and get him more reps and see him play 30 plus minutes. And I want to hear in terms of um, what was sort of the goal uh, that was sort of assigned to Christian as he went down to the G League, and and how did he sort of do in those sort of uh, those those responsibilities? Yeah, Christian had a huge impact on on our team when he played. I think uh, I was looking at the on court numbers late, uh, pretty recently, and when he was on the court, we would have had the best defense in the G League this year. So mm. he like really impacted our team. Uh, with something like a plus ten per hundred with him on the court, like he really. Right solidified our team a bunch there's um, a little bit of that with the raptors too like obviously you know yeah. he doesn't play extended minutes and some of that is his own fault he does pick up some fouls quickly but he has that same impact on the raptors as well 100 percent. he's a big time rim protector and to your first question like that was a, a big focal point for us was find a way to protect the rim at all costs and then we'll scramble around for you and protect you and just make those reads up we don't want him jumping for every block and putting himself out of position but at the same time, we want to for him to protect the paint. So secure the rebound, make guys miss. Uh, don't give the easy drop off passes, but really make that paint look crowded. And the the four other guys will protect the perimeter for you. And then on the offensive end, he had a bit more. I mean, a lot more of a green light with us than he would mm-hmm. with the Raptors. So he was taking quite a few more threes. Um, his corner three was really respectable. Like we we were always confident. He didn't shoot a bunch of them in game, but. In practice, he would work on it a bunch, and it looked really good. And then, just his ability to a lot of teams are going to switch with him for now because he's he's not a big time post presence just yet, but he's mm-hmm. got all the abilities to be there. So we would work on our offense against switches with him, and whether it's throw it down on the block and kind of let him go to work, or kind of have him hanging around the baseline in that area that uh, we call the dunker, and have him flash up and finish against some smaller guards. And he was able to do that really well. And and like I said, he was super impactful for our team. Yeah, and and this is something that I just I mean obviously again I'm not in practices I, I just I just love watching warmups and stuff like that and and those are ex- exact things he would work on right corner threes and then he get in the post you know Jamal would be like no and then he would just like try to score on Jamal in the post like fifty times and then go you yeah. know, play the game itself and and I don't know Christian always struck me as a guy who like was able to receive instruction well. Right, I, I don't know if that was your your experience. To be honest, if, if it wasn't, you probably wouldn't tell me anyway in this context. <laughs> but like, can you can you at least confirm if this hunch is true or not? Yeah, Christian's super smart. He, he grasps everything right away, and he's got great feel for the game, and he mm-hmm. understands the game well. So now he's a pleasure to coach. And like you said, he he receives instruction well, and he seeks out instruction, which is kind of half the battle. So right. he does a great job of that. Um, do Do you think like he just? I think the skills is one thing, right? And that's obviously normal for any rookie to come in a league, not having a fleshed out skill set. Um, but do you think that like, there is something to be said where he just needs to add a little bit more strength, a little bit more bulk. That was sort of the conversation when he was at Arizona. And sometimes when you watch the games, you're like, well, sometimes he's picking up fouls. Cause like, it's like a moving screen. He didn't hold it well, or he maybe, you know what I mean? So does he sort of need to add more strength to sort of take the next level in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think it would hurt for sure, especially in his base. He got a little bit stronger in his base, so that way guys can't really push him low and kind of get him off balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of that is also kind of speed of the game and timing-wise. So those moving screens or being a little bit late to a contest, that 
that half second or quarter second can really make a difference on as to whether they called foul or not. So fair, fair. there were very few games he had like foul trouble with us and with a 905 just because it's not NBA like just that tier below NBA athlete. And, and now I think he's getting better and not being in too much foul trouble with the Raptors as well. But the speed of the game matters a lot as much as the strength aspect. Like I don't think a moving screen is necessarily because he's not strong enough. Um, mm, and he is, okay. he's put, he's put on some weight as well, I think throughout the year and his body looks to be in pretty good shape right now as well. So he, uh, another guy that I would bet on having a really good long NBA career. Yeah, no, I've seen him dunk on Jamal McGlure a lot more often uh, as the season went on. So that, yeah. that's that's good progress. That's good progress. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then, yeah, I wanted to ask about Starling as well. I felt like towards the end of the season, um, obviously that's, you know, he joined you guys midway, but he really stood out yeah. to me. Yeah, just watching. So what was it like coaching him and sort of what do you think of his chances of getting back into the league? To me, he's pretty clear he can definitely play at that level. Big time, big time. I was completely surprised that we had him all the way until the end of the season. I thought for sure he would get another call. It. He got one early with the Lakers um, and then rejoined us. And mm-hmm. I was I was hopefully like waiting for him to get that another call back up to the NBA. He belongs in the NBA. He's such a good presence in the locker room. Um, he works his tail off. Like he sets a great example on and off the court, both with his actions and with his words. Um, um very thankful that he was on our team. He was great for the development of a lot of guys on the team. Uh, he puts in so much work. And then on the basketball side of it, he was shooting it so well, uh, both catch and shoots off the dribble. And he was also his shot creation for himself and his teammates got way better. He had a triple double with us at one point in the season. He had lots of games and like multiple assists, uh, did a great job, not only finding the roller in the pick and roll, but kick out passes as well. He's like you said. I think he's shown that he can definitely play in the NBA, and I would I would hope that either later before the season's over or, or starting training camp next year, he would be on someone's roster. Right. Uh, and then last thing, I just want to circle back to you um, because um, you know, again, I was talking to Nick about this literally today. You, you were on the other side of the court. You were helping OG. I think you were chasing him over the screen and, and sort of seeing what he could do in the mid range pull up or I don't know some kind of drill you guys were working on. OG yeah. shooting the lights out of the uh, lights out right now. By the way, I feels like his shot looks amazing. He keeps doing yeah. these like super high arc release shots. Actually, maybe I yeah. just ask you that. Why, why is he doing that? Do you know? Because it's like yeah, just... obviously there's normal arc where the ball like goes like just over the backboard or maybe even higher over the backboard. Yeah. He's shooting this thing like maybe like twice the height of the backboard somehow. I don't know. Oh, for sure. We have those Noah systems in all the, the arenas that tell you the arc. And like okay. they say the optimal arc's like yeah, 45 yeah. degrees or something. And it'll shoot like a 45 or 45 and then it'll dip to say 43. And he's like, oh, I'm shooting it too flat and launch like a 63 degree angle shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just be like, that's better. Uh, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where okay. like when you practice way out of your range, then you go back into your range. It feels way more comfortable. Interesting. So I think he's just kind of, it's something he's done. I mean, the first time I noticed it was a couple summers ago. I was working out with him. And he just started bombing him. And I was like, oh, gee, what are you doing? You're right, yeah. like, this is my, he's like, this is my new shot. And he was kind of joking around. And then he felt like whenever he needs to recalibrate or reset, he would just launch one of those bombs that go, like like you said, like three times above the size of the backboard. Uh, and then it, the, the funny part is how often he just swishes those anyways. Exactly. Yeah, I thought it's, like, it's almost like a horse shot in a way. Yeah, no, it's incredible. So. Yeah. He'll throw it up and then he'll go back to shooting a normal shot and it looks so flat that you look up on the screen and it's saying 45 degrees. So it's his way of calibrating, I guess. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that that's that's really good perspective. Oh, my, my point was, um, you know, you're on the other side of the court. You're working on it with OG. He's shooting these, you know, ridiculous threes, and they're swishing. And and I was talking to Nick, and I was asking him like sort of his reflections on you and and your first season, um, you know, as a head coach. And you know, it was interesting. He shared that, you know, in his first season back when it was the D League, you know, it wasn't the way he wanted to go as well. Right? Didn't make the playoffs. I think I hope, you might have done better than him. He was 22 and 28. Um, but sort of, he talked about like, there was like immediately after the season was over, he looked at, it, he was like, man, there's like four things going to next year. Like, I really want to change this and this and this, and this whole experience of going through it really taught me all these small things that I personally wanted to improve myself as a coach, but also impart that to the rest of the team. And, you know, no pressure. I think Nick might've won the championship the next year, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, is, is that sort of the feeling you got too? It's like, what, well, after the season's over, you're able to breathe and you're like, okay, wow. That happened. We, I learned a lot, but there's also these other things that I really want to immediately start to get to work on. Yeah, hundred percent, without question. Um, you realize some of the things you thought were super important going into the season were important, but not wildly, and and vice versa. So right. now, after a year under your belt, you kind of get a sense of like, okay, next year, like these are the hundred percent non-negotiables, and you don't want to it's not my nature to be extremely black and white Mm -hmm. i think there's there's a lot of feel that goes into everything and you do have to be comfortable in the gray area but one thing that i definitely realized for next year is that you do have to set a few things that you're going to say no this is black and white like these are non-negotiables and i'm building my wall right here and you're not going to get through this wall and and we're going to be really firm as an organization Mm -hmm. and then other things where you can be more comfortable kind of letting it evolve and grow and it's super important to decide what those things are. And after a year doing it, you realize, okay, these are the things. And maybe with a different roster, it's different areas, but Mm -hmm. you have to say like, okay, no, offensively here are the two or three things, defensively here are the two or three things. And then as a culture organization, here are the two or three things that like we're super firm on when there's going to be no bend. And then the rest of the stuff we can, we can all work together to figure out what's best for us. So yeah, to your point, I'm excited (laughs) for next year already. It's six months away, but yeah, the, I know probably even more than six months. Like, yeah, I know exactly what I, I've been thinking about it ever since you brought up that Lakeland loss earlier. Ever since that Lakeland loss, that's all I could be thinking about. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. Yeah, I've, I've kept you for like way too long, to be honest. I, I forgot that this is only supposed to be thirty minutes. We were just having a nice chat, so I hope I wasn't delaying your day too much. Um, just wanted to get you out. Obviously, you know, I know you're a Liverpool supporter. I'm a Liverpool supporter. Not the the most thrilling season you know they're already out of several competitions including champions league but uh i have to say congratulations i guess to you even though you didn't do this but your countryman did this mo salah is now the uh, leading goal scorer in the premier league for liverpool so congrats to you man that's uh hey congrats to mo yeah of course man yeah that's pretty cool that is pretty cool cool. so many great players have played a nice little premier league run to end the season and finish up in the top four let's go for that no, it's it's still within reach, and uh, yeah. I just I just realized that we're playing City uh, uh, on the weekend, so that that's gonna yeah. be. A, a, <laughs> I mean, yeah, listen, a it's always it's always close. Um, by the way, For you sure. know, J- Josh Sue is a is a, is a, is a supposed City fan. I think I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, maybe we maybe I gotta rib him a little bit. I, I always like to to sort of tease him about his team, even though there's not much to tease. But uh, yeah, I would say not yeah. too much. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, enjoy the off season more than anything else. First off, you know, get some time to unwind and, and relax a little bit, and then come back, refocus, and um, yeah, looking forward to speaking with you again. Um, you know, ahead of your next season. 
Appreciate that. Yeah, you have a great time too. That was our conversation with Raptors 905 head coach Eric Curry. Um, just to sort of wrap up, um, I, you know, look, listen, I definitely really appreciated Eric's time uh, for doing that. And also, you know, my impression just sort of from afar and having spoken to him a couple of times and watched the 905 here or there is just like, you know, I, I think he's a very thoughtful guy. He's definitely very open to things. He's very looking much to um, improve on his skill set. And I think, yeah, even though the Raptors 905 this season was disappointing, I, I do think that. You know, in the grand scheme of things, um, it was a very difficult thing to jump into. Your first head coaching job, being in that kind of position, uh, it's not easy. Like, uh, to make the comparison to the Raptors with, with Nick, I mean, Nick's head coaching career is, is you know, it's actually told in pretty great detail in, in his uh, biography. Um, but if you're unfamiliar, Nick's first head coaching job, he was a player coach. And this is when he was playing overseas in the British Basketball League. And... You know, I'm sure everything in the moment feels like it's the biggest thing in the world and you give everything to it. And especially when you're in your 20s or early 30s, like you don't actually have that much perspective on what's going on. But when you really take a step back, like that's fairly low stakes. Honestly, that was a good position to make mistakes and, and, and go through things and learn through it. And of course, Nick has coached at every level since then. And now he's coached at the highest levels and, and, and won a championship, obviously. Um, but I was thinking about it in comparison to Eric and, you know, man, being a head coach for the first time at the G League level where, you know, people watch and executives watch and you have a lot of professional players and, um, you know, guys either who were great players in college who were unable to get drafted and now have to go in this process or former players who have played in the league and now they're trying to get back into the league or players who are in the league, but also kind of not there in the two ways, like, there's a lot of expectations to sort of handle and manage and it's a development for everybody. And I do get that sense from Eric that, uh, you know, he is going to take a lot from this experience and, and hopefully apply it going forward. Cause look, people who are, you know, much more used to watching the 905 than me, they know that this is a team that expects to win and, and has, has consistently won at a high level. And so, um, you know, one of the other things Nick told me was just they're looking at this thing like a two year process, right? This is not just like one and, and it, it didn't, you know, whatever. There were 500. We got to cut them, right? Like, no, I think they're looking at it like in perspective. And I do feel that uh, that's 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 good. That's really good. Um, last thing before I go, uh, I just wanted to say this um, first uh, to, to everybody who showed up to the live show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we did it with Bobby Webster. And then, of, of course, me and Alex did our own little banter afterwards as well. But it was just such a fun event. I, I mean, it's been less than 24 hours after it happened. Um, but, uh, you know, my mind's still very much buzzing. It's it's uh, It was very cool to do it. Definitely a lot of hurdles um, in planning something of that magnitude. And, of course, you're dealing with, you know, an NBA GM. Guys like that really are hard to book. And not just hard to book. I don't think, you know, uh, Bobby did anything to, to make that complicated. It's just like there's a lot to sort of go into that. And there's a lot of clarifications and all this other stuff and meetings and ultimately when you put aside all that and you when we actually got into the moment it was such a cool position i mean i think it's very clear um for anybody who listens to the program that like i'm at at the core of it i'm actually just a fan of the team that is trying to do the job of being a journalist or being doing the job of being a host or being the job of doing a podcast or making a radio show um but first and foremost, I'm a fan, right? And and honestly, in a fan kind of moment, like that kind of was like blowing my mind. Like I'm sitting across the couch from 
the Raptors uh, general manager, and I'm asking him outright, give me the details on the Kawhi Leonard trade. And he's saying those details. Not like, hey, this is like everything, right? But like he's actually going into detail on, on subjects like that or um, talking about his process, how the front office works, you know, you know, saying stuff like the scouts are so high on Pascal. That was the main reason we really wanted to make that, you know, uh, draft pick, which by the way, obviously was a great one or all this other stuff and walking through his process. And um, yeah, honestly, just as a fan, it was kind of mind blowing to be in that moment. Of course, obviously it was, it was also very cool to host it and, you know, hundreds of people in the crowd and lots of people were honestly our friends too. And it was great to see everybody and, and build that community together. Um, but I, yeah, I just wanted to say like, you know, my mind's been buzzing, but most, more importantly, just a huge thank you to everyone who came out to the event. I thought it was a great success. Bobby had a great time, by the way, you know, he was on, I think seven forty-five, uh, and we were, we budgeted for 30 minutes with Bobby definitely ignored rappers PR, um, and, and just kind of kept going and, and tried to hold on a little longer. And then afterwards me and Alex talked for another hour and they could, we gave away a whole bunch of gifts. And the whole process probably took like an hour and a half. And afterwards, Bobby's still there chilling with people. And he was very real. And he got to meet a lot of people, take a lot of photos with people. That's all I'll say about that. I think the rest of the details we'll get, we'll get to on a future episode of the Banter Pod. But yeah, seriously, thank you to everyone who, who came out. Thank you to, to obviously Bobby and, and, and Raptors PR. Obviously, you know, we were able to raise a pretty significant amount of money towards Bobby's scholarship fund, which I think is going to be very awesome. Bobby spoke about the importance of education, especially that particular school where he got admitted to that school and that kind of changed his whole life. And obviously, if you know anything about private schools, especially private schools in the States, fairly expensive process that's inaccessible to most people. Um, and, and Bobby was one of those people until he was able to get that chance to, I think, get in through scholarship. And now he wants to pass that on. And it was very cool to sort of be able to contribute towards that in whatever way possible. So it was great to see the community. Great to see everyone. Um, obviously, huge thanks to Alex. Huge thanks to the people who put it on. Shouts to Quell. Shouts to Trevor. Shouts to Steph. Shouts to Elaine. Um, you guys all did an amazing job. And uh, yeah, ultimately, you know, if you if you didn't make out to a live show, I completely understand. Um, obviously, we weren't really, um, uh, you know, like... I don't know. I, I just think that it, it's a great chance to build community. And I think that every time we're able to put on one of these things, that's my biggest takeaway is we got closer to the Raptors community and we're able to put names to faces. We're able to have a great time. And obviously it's great to have big guests come through. And that's primarily why people are coming. They want to see Chris Boucher in that setting. They want to see Bobby Webster in that setting. And, you know, um, we want to keep building it out. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for, for, for coming out. And uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people ask questions about like, hey, is it going to be published anywhere? I want to see it. Um, listen, it was not affiliated with Sportsnet, so I cannot put this on the Sportsnet platform. It's our own thing, and so you know what? I, I hate to say this, but like the only way you're gonna get the live show is if you come to the live show. But yeah, seriously, it was an amazing time, and uh, um, yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm very gassed up. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Raptor Show. We'll be back on air on a regular two to three um, schedule. Um, by the way, Bobby does confirm listen to the uh to to uh to the raptor show um you know not not all the time he's not listening to every single one but uh you know he gets in the car picks up the kids and you know it's it's it's, it's about that time 2 to 3 p.m he turns on this, the radio it's on 590 and uh you know you know he, he might hear me and alex talking about whatever the hell we talk about all the time but um yeah it was uh thanks everyone for listening uh, and uh yeah we'll be back with the program tomorrow <laughs>